Hey, everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley, the Muscle Maven Van Houten. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you uh, joining. I know that I've been not quite um, on the ball with getting podcasts out every Tuesday. I am, you know, a little busy these days with a baby who takes up a lot of time. No excuses, though. I appreciate you guys sticking around, staying subscribed, listening to the podcast. Still got plenty of great guests, just maybe not as 100% reliable on the output as I normally am, um, but I'm working on it. Today's episode is with a guest that you guys, uh, listeners, have been telling me to have on for a very long time. So this is, you know, a long time overdue, and I'm very, very glad I was able to get her on the show. Her name is Dr. Carrie Jones. She's a functional women's health and hormone doctor. Um, She believes in the importance of understanding our hormones in a way that is actually accessible and useful, um, because they can be very complicated and overwhelming, and we know this. Um, And I have to say, we talk about a lot of stuff in this episode. We talk about testing for hormones. We talk about the cyclical nature of hormonal um, health and, and you know what our hormones are doing in our bodies. Um, but she really does explain a lot of these things in ways that it really clicked more for me than it has in the past. And I've talked to a lot of people about hormonal health. I've done a fair bit of research, um, especially cortisol. We talk about cortisol, what it does in the body, um, and how it impacts the other hormones. This is relevant for men and women. And she just really articulated it in a way that stuck with me um, really, really well, really clearly. So I hope that you find that to be the case as well. Um, She's fantastic. She's a great follow on Instagram. I'll put all of her information in the show notes. Um, But that's it. I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm just going to dive right into this episode with Dr. Carrie Jones. She is fantastic. Uh, We can never know too much about our hormonal health, so very useful. Please do share this episode with anybody you think could use it, which I think is pretty much everybody. We've all got questions about hormones, Um, but sharing it passing it on, rating, reviewing, subscribing. That's what keeps this podcast going. So I appreciate you in advance for helping me out. All right. Enjoy the podcast with Dr. Carrie Jones. All right, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is, this is a long interview in the, in the making. So I'm excited. It is actually, you know, and you are somebody who I have um, been told time and time again that I need to have on the podcast. So I appreciate you taking the time. I've, you know, I've been a fan and a follower for a long time, but um, it's, it's awesome to actually have you on here so I can pick your brain. I'm very excited. Yes. Um, So before we kind of dive into it, just quickly um, tell all of the listeners sort of like what you're up to these days, how you're doing, just what's going on in life generally. (laughs) <laughs> I tell people I'm up to my eyeballs and hormones. That's, that's what I do. That's me too. That's what I'm in. Right. And it's, and it's the, it's the end of the year. And, um, and there's been a lot of stress going on. So I'm up to my eyeballs yeah. and a lot of very stressed out people yeah. having a lot of hormone symptoms. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, um, to talk, say, and like talk this through. Yeah. It seems like it is, I mean, a topic that certainly never goes away because it is kind of 
ever evolving for women, especially, right? Like it's certainly it's, it's the case for men as well. But I think with women, like it really is more complicated for us. We do have so many more, I feel like discrete stages of life. If we're talking about like reproductive and then pre and peri and postmenopause, mm-hmm. all of these things, there's just so many more things happening. Um, <laughs> and I feel like in my very limited experience of kind of researching and trying to learn about this stuff, it does seem like a lot of it generally is painted with like a very negative brush that doesn't have to be necessarily like certain Mm -hmm. there, certainly there are challenges, but it doesn't, it just feels like it's always negative. It's like, here we go. Another thing, or, and this is inevitable. And this is what being a woman is. And I just, I guess it's, it's not fair. Yes. Right. It's not fair. And I hate, um, like it's like the hormone, like as an example, the hormone estrogen, the hormone estrogen gets vilified all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, it's my estrogen. My estrogen causes my PMS. My estrogen is why I have fibroids. My estrogen makes my endo worse. And while estrogen out of whack can absolutely do that on the flip side, estrogen is what's helping protect our heart, protect our brain and protect our joints and, you know, protect our bones and, and our mood and all this stuff. And so it's, it, we have to think of hormones as like the, the body really does want them to work for us. The body really does want our hormones to help us out. I mean, they're there for a reason. They're they're ultimately supposed to help us. It's but they can get off track, like like yeah. can be like a roller coaster off track, and then yeah. that's when we get these symptoms. And so I I completely agree with you. I think just the act of being female gets painted as like, ah, it's a giant pain in the ass because to deal with these hormones. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Some of it's good news. Some yeah. of it can be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a, a very general question, but I feel like it'll help start to like hone in on some specific ones. Cause I did, I reached out to like my, my community mm-hmm. on social media and I got a ton of questions. We will not be able to get through them all, but I'll kind of, I'll try to like organize them as best I can. But mm-hmm. the first question I have is, you know, and I know you talk about this a lot, that there are a lot of lifestyle factors that you can do and change and adjust to help with your health and your hormonal health. And a lot of those uh, lifestyle factors tend to be the same things we hear over and over again to fix everything, right? Like Mm -hmm. improving your health and your stress and your food and all these things. Um, But is there sort of, are there some signs that individuals can pay attention to when, when, their body is telling them that they need more than just what they can do. Like they may need to start talking to a professional about hormone replacement therapy or just other methods that like the lifestyle factors just aren't cutting it. Like how can you tell? So I actually got this comment in Instagram the other day. I had, I was talking about estrogen detoxification and she said, I eat healthy. I take care of myself. I exercise, I sleep, you know, I feel like I have good boundaries and I still feel like crap. Like what else can I do? I said, I think, I, th- I think like a for effort, good for you. You've covered all the fundamentals that, you know, as you feel at this point, it sounds like you probably should either get real lab testing, you know, like you should see a professional, you should see extra help and see either what you're missing, or maybe you're doing all these things, but it's this thing over here that you just didn't even think about um, that's causing your symptoms. So what I tell everyone is if it's interfering with your life, right? If it's, if it's affecting, um, big time, the way that you do things, think about like bleeding. Like when you get your period, how many women are like, Oh my gosh, I bleed through so many tampons. I bleed through my, I have my underwear, you know, period underwear. I have to get up in the middle of the night. I have to wear a tampon and a pad. When I go to bed, I bleed so heavy. I'm like, hold on. That might not be normal. 
Because mm. no one told you that might not be normal. And like, how many days do you do this? Oh, this at least four or five days. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely not normal. And so I wish even just establishing baseline normal in the female body was more um, advocated for because we just assume sometimes, well, this is how I've been my whole life. Yeah. I've always had severe 10 out of 10 cramps. It's part of being a woman. Like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. 10 out of 10. No. Yeah, sure. If you get if you're at like a two or a three or a four sometimes and then it gets way you know better, fine. Let's work on that. But at 10 out of 10, that's debilitating. That's going to interfere with your life. And so some of these things I really want women to think about like, oh, you know what? That really does that symptom, whatever it is, really does interfere my with my life. I am doing all the things I think I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And it's not improving. It's not getting better. And in fact, in some cases, it may be getting worse. And that's when I'm like, seek help, find somebody who's knowledgeable, maybe get some testing. You might need supplementation or hormones or whatever it is Yeah, to help with this, these things. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important that there are people like you out there who are providing information like that's so accessible because one of the things like in the last year, you know, I was pregnant and had a baby. And so I like started researching in a whole new area of women's health. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just keep coming up against what you're saying, where it's like so much of what's negative or scary about these phases of life is considered inevitable or we're told it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. And also that we aren't necessarily taught to or encouraged to even just ask questions questions and advocate mm-hmm. about it. Because even if it is normal, for example, we don't know if we don't even ask the question, like right. I'm suffering with X, Y, Z, like, mm-hmm. is this normal? Is this okay? Is there anything I can be doing? Um, we just don't even think a lot of times, a lot yeah. of people, like I have talked to so many friends. I don't want to go down too much of a tangent right now, but, <laughs> but so many friends about pelvic health, like, and mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And people who are like very sort of educated, knowledgeable about their body, generally speaking, and like they just didn't know that you could go to a pelvic health therapist or that mm-hmm. you could treat your core and your pelvic floor after birth. Like no idea. And so they're Nobody just like, told them. I'm just going to pee a little bit forever. I'm just going to feel a little bit uncomfortable forever. Nobody had any idea. So I think that anyway, all that to say, I'm grateful that there are people like you yeah. putting this information. I love that you. I love that you said ask questions. I just love yeah. that you said ask questions because so many. So many women, it's like, say it runs in the family. You're like, mom had 10 out of 10 cramps, bled, bled heavily, you know, like aunts did it, your older sister did it. And so you're like, well, it's just, you know, that's just was dealt to me. It's normalized in the family. And then you talk to you, to me, to some other provider. And they're like, that's actually not considered, you know, healthy or, or normal, common, yeah. but not normal. Like, right. let's, let's work on this. Yeah. And so I love that they ask questions. If you are concerned about symptoms you have, it's interfering with your life. You really are questioning if it should be normal um, as opposed to common. Start to ask like, Hey, I'm having these symptoms. What would you consider that? Did you consider that excessive? Mm-hmm. And yeah, what's the worst that know, can happen? People are like, feedback. Sc- yeah. I don't know. They're like scared that people will be mad at them if they ask a question or think that they're stupid. It's like, I'd rather ask the question. And even if it is a stupid question, I'd rather ask it than not ask it and not get the information. Right. So, right. Right. Um, speaking of testing. So I see the Dutch testing behind you and I know <laughs> that that's, that's a big part of this. And I will confess, I have a Dutch test in my bathroom that I <laughs> have not used because yes. like, honestly, I know it's terrible. I just have been so lazy because it's like the timing you got to like, do it at yeah. the right time of the month and stuff. And yeah. I, anyway, and now like I got to wait until things even out with 
everything. Um, but <laughs> Post baby. Yes. Would you recommend, generally speaking, for most people who, again, are listening to this podcast and have questions like so many people did when they were sending them to me on Instagram, is that a good baseline, first line of defense testing, like just across the board, just take a Dutch test. It'll give you so much information. Is that accurate? So the answer is yes. It is a great baseline test. It is an at-home test. Um, it's really easy to collect and do. Uh, it's not a blood draw, for, which is great for a lot of people. But I will caveat that by saying that it is billable to insurance or you can like run it through an FSA, but it's not considered like a standard insurance covered test. So from a budget point of view, if somebody says, I feel hormonal, I really want my hormones checked but my budget is not going to allow it, then maybe you're going to be looking at blood work. So you're going to maybe get a hormonal blood work screening instead. Not nearly as comprehensive, I'll be honest, if they're just looking at you know typical hormones like estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. Um, but it's a good start. You got to start somewhere. And yeah. so I want to take that in, into consideration. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's a fantastic test. It's six pages of comprehensive hormonal information all about you. What about though the idea that like, I mean, I guess- so you take it different times of the month. And so, so it's giving you like a more. You take it one time. Yeah. So you take it. If you, for a cycling woman, you generally test five to seven days after ovulation, okay. which is generally days 19, 20, or 21 of a 28 day cycle. Okay. So I get my period every 28 days, roughly day 19, 20, 21, pick a day. I will do the Dutch test. If you're menopausal, you can pick you. To, or or male, you can do it anytime because you don't you're not cycling. It then it's okay. different. Um, and so yeah, we are specific on the day you take the test. Okay. And is there any issue with it? Could be different from month to month depending on yeah, like if you're stressed out, if you're traveling, if something's going on. Hundred percent. So then, yeah. how 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 good can we feel about the the information if it could change from month to month? So the information is any blood test, saliva test, urine test, any test you get is only accurate to you in that moment. That's it. So if you have a great month and you do a blood test, a saliva test, a urine test, it doesn't matter. And you get your results back. That's what you look like that month. But if next month you're traveling, you're skipping time zones, you're stressed out, you're burning the candle at both ends, you haven't been sleeping that great, you've been having too much wine, then you do your hormones again, they could look totally different, but they're accurate to you at that time as a stressed Mm -hmm. out not sleeping mess. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want people to go, to go like, oh, I don't know that it's accurate because they change all the time. It's accurate to you in the moment. And that so matters, most, but still most important information. Yeah. Super important. And yeah. most people have like a low grade, like it's when we talk about stress, like they're, when they say, well, my, you know, my stress changes. I'm like, well, are you, is your stress rating about the same? So the actual stress itself might be different, but is your rating about the same? Like, would you rate yourself on average stressed out five out of 10 most days of the week. And if they're like, yeah, that's, that's about right. And it doesn't matter if it's the kids. It doesn't matter if it's work. It doesn't matter if it's bills. It doesn't matter if it's the news that may shift what's causing them to be stressed out. They're like, yeah, I'm about a five out of 10. Mm. Cool. So when you test, your cortisol is going to register the fact that you always kind of run at a five out of 10. And it's going to give you pretty accurate feedback on the day to day because you always kind of look like that. But when you're looking at female hormones, estrogen, progesterone, we want to be very specific on the day of the month you test because mm-hmm. your menstrual cycle is a very um, choreographed roller coaster. So we yeah. want to pick the right point in the roller coaster that you're going to hit. Yeah. It's an interesting concept to talk about like 
physical stress versus like how you are thinking about the stress. Like, and it's something that was interesting to me when I was like training a lot and doing like bodybuilding and stuff, which is obviously a very physically stressful thing, but I wasn't necessarily registering it as stress because I enjoyed it. Right. Right. Um, but that can be a problematic thing. And I feel like, especially for women who are always trying to do it all and Mm -hmm. do everything for everybody. And a lot of times they find their stress relief in like these overly intense, maybe workouts or just like grinding away in the gym or cardio or whatever. And that Mm -hmm. thing that is like topping up their stress bucket that could be really negatively impacting their hormones is also the thing that they think of as helping them de-stress. So how do we, how do we manage that? Like, cause I I have a hard time. I do some coaching and some work with women one-on-one. And this is one of the biggest things is that it's like, they feel like the more stressed they are, the the more they need to double down on like busting their ass in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we do that? Instead, we're like, I want you to double down on sleep. (laughs) I want you to double down. No, I don't want to reading. You know, I want you to like casually walk around your neighborhood casually. Don't speed walk. I know it's a hard, it's a hard mindset to get into because I, again, social media, I had a woman write me and she said, um, I'm trying to get pregnant. My cycles are irregular. And I do pell, I cycle spin cycle twice a day. Do you think the twice a day hour long? So two hours a day of cycling is a problem. And I was like, yep, sure is. As a matter of fact, it sure is. Because what happens is when you are stressed, when you have stress, your body's only thought is to protect you. Yeah. You Subconsciously, your brain is like, protect, protect, protect. We need to protect you. Be hypervigilant. Let's work through this. Protect. And so it thinks a tiger is in front of you. Whether a tiger is in front of you or not, it doesn't matter. That's the cascade that happens in your body. She's stressed, tiger. Let's run. Let's give her energy. Let's give her glucose. Let's prepare her. So then you go and get on a bike or you go and get on a treadmill, or you go for a run outside, or you go and get on the elliptical and you go hard for 30 to 60 minutes. Your brain doesn't know the difference between we're exercising for stress release and she's now running from said tiger. Yeah. Like she's turned around and started running from the tiger. If you're running outside, your body's like, well, she's running. Clearly there must be a threat, a bear, something. (laughs) So when you're in that um, already hyper-stressed out state, that's the problem. When you are baseline, pretty normal, you, your, your ability to bounce back is healthy, then exercise is a good stress. We want to push the system and then have recover days so we can truly recover. But when, we've ha- when we're maxed out, most of us know when we feel maxed out, then that all out exercise actually is detrimental. Yeah. The all out cardio, the all out weightlifting, the hit. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. And so yeah. I'm asking, it's, I know it's a hard mindset for women and I'm having them flip. I'm like, just like you, I'm like, Hey, look, I need you to do less all out, less cardio. I need you to think about restorative and resting in the exercise department. Mm-hmm. It's funny though, how like, obviously that woman, there's a part of her brain that knew because she was asking you the question. She already knew the answer. She wouldn't she ask the, the question that way. Right. Mm-hmm. She just wanted somebody smart to be like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very tough. And I think teaching people to, and having them really internalize that it is the recovery time that you're actually getting stronger. Mm-hmm. It's not when you're in the gym, beasting yourself, that's when you're actually breaking your body down. And yeah. so the recovery part is at least, if not more crucial than the breaking yourself down part because you won't get stronger if you don't let yourself rest and recover. I just think people, yeah, people have a really hard time with it, but can you um, try for us to, to break down? Cause I've had some questions about 
cortisol, obviously, and how Mm -hmm. it's a very important, um, it's hormone, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very important hormone um, that, but it can do some bad things too, if, you know, it goes haywire. So can you talk about how in like a case similar to what we're talking about, how cortisol actually acts on or with or against the other hormones? Like what's happening to our (laughs) estrogen or testosterone, all these things when cortisol is too high all the time? Yeah. So cortisol is made from our adrenal glands. It's part of our uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal or HPA axis. And we need cortisol to survive. If you don't have cortisol, uh, you unfortunately will die. Cortisol's uh, main job in the stress response, the very first thing that it does is help with blood sugar glucose creation. So if it had a resume, if it had a CV, it would say that I increase glucose in your body. And the reason is you're stressed and the brain needs more glucose to think this through, to handle the stress. Your skeletal muscles need more glucose to fight, to run, to punch, to kick. Most of our stress is not physical though. Most of our stress in our life is a mental, emotional, or um, physical, but maybe from like a bacteria or a virus or inflammation standpoint. We're not actually fighting bears or running away from woolly mammoths in our life. So cortisol is supposed to go up in the morning it goes to a nice peak. It's called the cortisol awakening response. It does this within the first 30 minutes of you waking. It's to get your booty out of bed. It's to give you some energy. It's to give you some glucose because you've just been fasting overnight. It's to reduce any inflammation you have. And then once it hits that peak, it gradually falls, 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 falls until it's nice and low before that you go to bed. And you want it low before bed because you need to go to sleep. It's hard to go to sleep when your cortisol is high. So that's the rhythm of cortisol. Now, how does cortisol, like high cortisol affect your hormones? Remember I said your brain really is just trying to protect you. That's all it wants to do. And especially important in females because the brain knows if it's uh, in a depleted state or feeling threatened or highly stressed out, then it's going to need to shift the way that you do or don't potentially get pregnant that month. Now, it doesn't matter if you want to get pregnant. I don't want to get pregnant, but I know that when I'm stressed out and not sleeping and or traveling time zones, my period is going to be different because my brain is trying to protect me. Hmm. So what happens is the cortisol goes to the brain with high levels of cortisol. It's, it, it you know rushes the brain and the brain goes, ah, that's a lot of cortisol. <laughs> like, yike. So it starts to suppress the signal in your ovaries to make progesterone, usually first and then estrogen second. So what happens is your ability to push out an egg or ovulate goes down. Your ability to make progesterone goes down. This is important because progesterone is our calming, soothing, relaxing, everything's going to be okay hormone. It's our progestation hormone. It helps us not have PMS. It makes our periods easier. And now we've just lost it. And then if we continue with the stress, what can happen with some women is their estrogen will also go down and they will lose their period or their period will be late. A lot of women said in the height of the pandemic, I skipped my period. I skipped this month. You know, like I'm two weeks late. But I'm not pregnant. What's going on? Everything's wonky. I'm like, right, because your cortisol is screaming at the brain. Protect, protect, protect and don't have a baby. Maybe now is not the time. Now, obviously, there are women who got pregnant in the pandemic. Their brain was thinking different. Their stress was different. Everybody's different. But a lot of feedback to me in, in the DMs was, ah, mm-hmm. like, what's wrong with my period? And that's how cortisol affects these hormones um, uh, from the brain down because the brain's trying to protect us. Okay. That's that is 
very helpful way of putting it. Actually, I think that's <laughs> that's gonna that that it's gonna stick with me better. I think, and the way you describe progesterone too is actually very helpful. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of want to talk about that because that sounds like a hormone that we want to have lots of. Yes, <laughs> right. And it, and also, I feel like there's a lot of talk about having like too much like estrogens too high or something. But then I hear people say, but really maybe it's just that your progesterone's too low. So it's not, or it could be both. I mean, here we go again to how complicated this stuff can get. But what are some things we can do to like keep our progesterone nice and high? And should we always want it to be nice and high or should that also kind of be cyclical? It is cyclical. So like I said, it is a very choreographed roller coaster that we go on. So our estrogen goes up on the roller coaster in the beginning. So we get our period. That stage is called our follicular phase. And then gradually our estrogen goes up, up, up the roller coaster. Once it hits at the top of the roller coaster, the next act is that we ovulate. We release the egg. So estrogen helps tell the brain to tell a different hormone, release the egg. Estrogen comes down the roller coaster. Now we're in what's called the second half of our cycle or the luteal phase. And now progesterone comes up the roller coaster high estrogen comes up, but not as high. So it's the difference between like a mountain and a molehill when we're looking at mm-hmm. progesterone and estrogen. So progesterone is only out in the second half of our cycle it is not out in the first part of our cycle. Okay. If it's flipped, if for some reason estrogen's winning in the second half, estrogen rides that roller coaster higher than progesterone, maybe progesterone's flatlined, didn't come out at all. That's when we get those really, what we call, I feel hormonal. I feel PMS. I feel heavy periods. I feel Like my fibroids are growing. I get migraines because of the shift in estrogen and progesterone. So when I said, we already talked about stress. Stress is definitely one of the biggest things that affects the way that we do or that we don't ovulate and that we do or don't make progesterone. So we can never get rid of stress. I am not saying you have to go be Zen-like in a a tropical island. I mean, do it if you want to, but it's not right. But like how you manage stress, how you set boundaries, how you set, no, how you take care of yourself, ultimately from all areas, your mental, emotional, your dietary, your lifestyle, chemicals, right? Toxicants you're exposed to, the relationships you're in, the fulfillment you get in your family or your job or don't, all of these play a big role in how you make progesterone and, mm-hmm. and, and estrogen. But again, this roller coaster is very, um, like I said, it's choreographed. It's set in stone. It's a rhythm. And to set our rhythms, our master rhythm is how we go to bed at night and how we get up in the morning. So it, then it goes back to sleep. At night, do you sleep in darkness? Darkness helps to reset our rhythm. In the morning, do you get light exposure, full spectrum light exposure? Do you go outside? walk your dog? Do you do out, you know, exercise outside, um, open windows? Do you have a full spectrum light box? Because when you, and I don't mean phone, I mean the full spectrum light as if you were getting a little sun exposure mm-hmm. in the morning on waking helps to set a rhythm. So we use light and dark to our advantage and how many people through the whole pandemic weren't sleeping. They were up late watching Netflix. They were into all the murder mystery stuff. They were learning about Tiger King, right? Like they wanted like all the things they were watching every single episode of everything that they could find. Cause suddenly everybody worked from home and could, they could be up till midnight yeah. or 1 AM cause they didn't have to drive to work. So they were throwing off their sleep schedule or they were anxious, hypervigilant, concerned, scared. And then when you throw off your rhythm, your master rhythm, you throw off all the other rhythms, which includes your menstrual cycle rhythm. Mm-hmm. So it all ties in. Nothing is independent in the body. Everybody is talking to each other all the time. So 
when I'm asked how, how, how do I keep my progesterone high? We have to figure out why is, why is it getting messed up in the first place? What's screwing mm-hmm. up its rhythm, right? Like okay. what's going on with your stress, your sleep, your diet, your lifestyle, mm-hmm. all the things. So it's really less about do this particular thing to keep your progesterone high versus like, let's sort out your life and how your body's working. So it just does what it's supposed to do. That's always first. That's always the foundation. Are there supplements that could maybe support progesterone? Sure. Can you take actual progesterone, the hormone? Of course you can. Did that solve any root causes? Nope. Sure. Didn't. Because what if, what if your reason for low progesterone is actually a thyroid issue? What if it's, you have a gut infection? What if it's, um, you know, you hate your job and your stress is through the roof. You're not sleeping at night and you're just taking progesterone and you're like, I hate this. I have to take this forever. You know, this stuff, it's just a bandaid. I know it's just a bandaid. You have to go back and address the foundation, but we have to figure out what the foundation is for you first. Yeah. It sounds like that's another example of, you know, you were mentioning before things that are common, but not normal because I mean, a lot of women, nearly almost every woman I would say does or has in the past had cycles or periods where they get, they get headaches or migraines. They have really bad PMS. It's way more painful than they think it should be. And all of those things. And a lot of times, as you're saying, it could be um, pointing towards maybe higher estrogen or lower progesterone Mm -hmm. and the system being kind of off. So that's seems to be sort of like a pretty significant thing that women as a whole are going to want to be sorting out generally yes. in their yeah. life. And, and we're not taught it, right? Like how this is not things we are taught in middle school or high school or at any point. And so a lot of women are learning it for the first time as, in, as full grown adults. Yeah. Um, and a lot, even still, like a lot of women just don't know. I mean, like I, I have, I have fully, uh, you know, adult women with children who are like, so I've ha- managed to have children, didn't know how my body worked. Like, yeah. not really sure how I got myself pregnant. Didn't know this about the menstrual cycle. Didn't know this about progesterone. Didn't, you know, yeah. like didn't know, I don't know what perimenopause is. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that women go through a transition as they get into their forties and fifties. Nobody told me I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, it's a disservice. Yep. Yes. So if high estrogen in the latter part of your cycle is an issue, um, you've talked a lot on social media about estrogen detoxing. Detox. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that because that's another thing that maybe I feel like has been incorrectly sold to us where like you can't detox things, your body detoxes things naturally. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do make any extra effort. Um, but of course, that's not always the case. Sometimes we do need some yeah. extra help. So yeah. And you're right. Thank goodness. We have these, what we call them a monkeries, the fancy word for their organs of eliminations. We breathe, right? We breathe out toxins. We sweat out toxins. We pee out toxins. We poop out toxins. Our liver processes um, to, to handle pretty much everything we eat, breathe, drink, and swallow goes through the liver. So the liver can deal with it and then figure out how to get rid of it. So we do have an innate detoxification system, which is fantastic. The problem is though, as we know, how many people listening have ever been hung over? How many people have ever been hung over? Right? So, you know, if you, if you drink too much alcohol, that's going to get into the liver and it's going to cause a lot of problems being hung over is one of them. It's going to affect the way you detox. So if you're routinely having alcohol every night, because it's your stress relief, it's going to affect how you detox in general, including your estrogen. If you are deficient in certain minerals required for detoxification, for example, if you're deficient in iron, let's say you're iron anemic, you need iron for the first step of estrogen or all detoxification, honestly, not just estrogen. So many women are iron deficient and they're going to struggle with that first phase. 
The second phase is required of magnesium. A lot of people are magnesium deficient. We just, we don't get it or we don't absorb it very well. Uh, it's hard for us to keep in our body. We have a, we have a big magnesium need as, as humans. And, and so just these little things, I see the arguments online where other healthcare practitioners scoff at the need to support detox more. And I'm like, except when you follow basic physiology and she's missing, depleted in, deficient in certain nutrients, or she's doing things, alcohol, Tylenol, which is acetaminophen, medications that are hard on the liver, that's going to affect the way that we do or don't detoxify. Yeah. And there are more. I'm just, I'm just listing, you know, a few examples. Yeah. And so it's been really astounding to me when I explain this and then, um, you know, people in genetics, we haven't even touched on genetics. Like what if genetically you are slow in certain ways that you process chemicals or process hormones, mm-hmm. um, then it doesn't matter that you have a liver, like <laughs> genetically you, you're slow. And so we can work to support that. And so, like I said, when people scoff at that, I'm like, no, I get I, like, it's true. We have livers and kidneys and, you know, sweat glands and thank gosh we have them. But at the same time, like we can clean them up. Like we yeah. can do things to like help support them as best that we can. And we just live in a toxic environment. I mean, every, I think That's people it. are pretty aware, like our air we breathe and the water we drink and, and the food we eat is just not as clean as it used to be. The chemicals, the, the things people put on their skin and, and they on their, their hair and what they use to clean their house with and all the fragranced plugins everywhere. Like your liver has to process all of that yeah. and estrogen too, by the way. So which yeah. do you think is going to get priority? Yeah. It's not yeah. estrogen. Yeah. It's like the toxic load situation. Mm-hmm. It's like if we were living in a perfect world where nothing around us was toxic and we never drank booze or ate crappy food and our bodies yeah. were working perfectly, we could just let our own innate systems take care of it. But sometimes yeah. we need more help because we don't live in that world. And pretty much right. nobody does. Right. So, so what are some things that we can be doing? I mean, obviously reducing the toxic load, right? Mm-hmm. Like by picking yeah. less toxic products and things like that. Is there anything else? So, well, alcohol, yeah. <laughs> working on reducing alcohol. And, and again, I'm not saying, you know, people go, oh, are you like anti-alcohol? I'm like, no, be, be aware if you have bad PMS, if you have all this sort of hormonal symptoms and you're listening to this with your second glass of wine in your hands, maybe it's possible you need, you need to cut back on that. Um, and I mentioned nutrients, things like iron. It, so don't just take iron, double check to see if you actually need it. Uh, but there are other nutrients like magnesium and zinc and choline, which is like what's in eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of B vitamins, tons of B vitamins are involved in uh, you, the way that you detoxify um, we, the chemicals that you mentioned. So there's, there's definitely a lot that we can do to support the way that our liver functions. I do want to say though, with, with uh, detoxification, um, I will get asked, I want to do, Carrie, I want to do a, like a three day or a five day or seven day, like an estrogen cleanse. Can I cleanse out my estrogen? I'm like, nope. Mm. (laughs) You make estrogen 24, seven, 365, which means you have to detoxify estrogen and all your other hormones 24, seven, 365. So whatever you're doing, don't just think you can do on a two day juice cleanse weekend, you know, and like poof, come out Monday that you fixed the problem. You haven't because it's every single day. These hormones are made every single day and you need to be aware of it every single day. Do these quote unquote 
you know, doctor approved cleanses help. Sure. They can get the ball rolling, Mm -hmm. um, but don't do it over a weekend and then go right back to your old lifestyle on Monday. Like you're right back to where you were. Yeah. Yeah. That's about as effective as an actual juice cleanse, which is to say not effective. (laughs) Um, And I know we're talking about women's health and women's hormones here, but like most of this advice is is, would be the same for men too, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's nutritionally and like getting rid of this toxic, it's all the same. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And when we look at detoxification pathways, it's the same in men as well. They need magnesium. They need B vitamins. Mm-hmm. They can't be depleted in iron. They have to watch out for their chemicals as well. They need to focus on their sleep. Absolutely. I apologize for interrupting the beautiful flow of this amazing podcast you're listening to, but I promise this will be quick and worth your while. I'm trying to give you guys a deal here. So just bear with me for a minute. Okay. Today's show is brought to you by Primally Pure. This is a company that I have loved and used for years and years. When I first started getting into sort of ancestral health and the paleo way of eating, which of course evolved into paying attention to skincare and other just products that you're using in your daily life, because if you're going to be picky about what goes in your bod, you need to be picky about what goes on your bod too. Like everything you slather on your face or skin or hair in your hands, it gets absorbed into your body too. And often we have no idea what these chemicals and ingredients are and what they're doing. And a lot of times they really aren't something we want to ingest, right? Like these are not edible or bioavailable products that we want in our bodies. And you know, sometimes I find that natural skincare stuff just doesn't have the same feel or luxuriousness. It doesn't look pretty. It doesn't smell pretty um, as some of those sort of standard companies that we use and buy. Let's be honest. I don't really want to settle for natural skincare that I don't actually enjoy using. I like to treat myself. I like to smell nice and feel nice. So Primally Pure came along and made my life very happy. I interviewed their founder years ago and I've been using their stuff consistently ever since. Their products are made with just a few ingredients that you can actually recognize and name and pronounce. Stuff like extra virgin olive oil, beeswax, tallow from grass-fed cows, but don't worry, you're not going to smell like tallow. Uh, They've got stuff like mango butter, essential oils, Their products smell amazing without being overpowering or fake. They feel delicious. Most importantly, they actually work and do what they say they're going to do. So their body butter, which is my favorite product, is like the most decadent thing in the world. It has like the consistency of frosting and it smells delicious and it just makes your skin so nice and smooth and creamy. I've ranted about their deodorant before. It's like magic. It actually makes you stop smelling, not just right away when you put it on, but like all the time. Like I literally use deodorant every couple of days now instead of worrying about (laughs) stinking halfway through the day. It works for men and women. All of these products are for everybody. I can't say enough about how just beautiful and transparent and good this company is. So I've supported them forever. They've supported me. And I want to pass along this discount for you so you can try them and be blown away by it too. And their products are actually very affordable considering the quality uh, you know, that they're giving you. So anyway, I'm so in love. Um, I'd be happy to talk to you more one-on-one about the products. If you're on the fence, you don't know maybe which stuff to try, just send me a message. Send me a DM on Instagram. Send me an email. Let me know. I can help you out. Use the code MUSCLEMAVEN. When you go to primallypure.com and just take care of your skin the way that you want to take care of everything else, uh, you won't regret it. Okay, now back to the show. 
Yeah. I would say too, a lot of the nutrients that you're talking about um, can be found in a food that I like to promote. I wrote a book about it, uh, about organ meats, like liver and very nutrient dense foods, right? I mean, everything that you just mentioned is in these, it's, I mean, getting people to drink less booze and eat more liver might be a bit of a tough sell, but (laughs) but I mean, that's not very sexy. It's not sexy, but I mean, (laughs) it can be effective. Yeah. Um, Okay. This is, I have another very kind of specific detox-y kind of question because there's a blog post on your website and I'm like a big skincare buff too. Mm -hmm. I really, I feel like it's just a very fun, like relatively accessible way to take care of yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. to get these like non-toxic, beautiful skincare products that like, it's just like the self-care thing at night. Mm -hmm. It feels good, whatever. Um, And there was a, I think you had a blog post about like lymphatic drainage and like dry brushing and stuff. Yeah. Dry brushing. For whatever reason, I don't know why, I feel like I'm very cynical. I'm like, how could that be doing anything? How can like brushing my skin be doing anything? Can you tell me how, is it really affect? Like, is it doing something? It is doing something. It's the same. Um, so similar to like rebounding, you know, on a rebounding, like a mini trampoline, yes. but for rebounding. So your lymphatic system doesn't work on a pump system. Your arteries work on a pump system. When your heart squeezes, then all the blood whoop, gets pumped through the rest of your body down all the way down your capillaries. Your lymphatic system does not. Your lymphatic system relies on your muscle contraction to squish all this stuff in your lymphatic system into different lymph glands. So lymph nodes. So we have lymph nodes in our throat, right? We have them in our armpits. We have a whole bunch in our abdominal area and our pelvic and groin area. And, and then, and then it eventually comes around uh, to the heart and so that your body can work to get rid of it. So with, they're very superficial as well. They're not, they're not, not necessarily, you know, deep hidden and cavities inside the body. And so they are very affected by when you rebound. So bouncing on um, a mini trampoline is an example, using the down up gravity aspect of it can be helpful at moving the lymphatics, the dry skin brushing when it's done, you're essentially brushing over the lymphatics. Because remember I said, they're pretty superficial and they don't work on a pump system. So as you're doing the light dry skin brushing over it, you are actually physically helping to move all the crap that's in your lymphatic system into a lymph node so it can get processed, which is why when you dry skin brush, um, there are versus just going at it randomly, like just sort of like Mm -hmm. brushing your body. There's actually a a method to the madness so that you can get the most out of it. Right. So yeah, it can definitely, it can definitely be helpful now. And then you want to sweat because like, how do you, with the the sweat glands, right? These that you wanted with what's in the, the, the lymphatics, you want to make sure that you're sweating. So considering things like sauna or exercise, you want to make sure that you're urinating regularly. So you're hydrated. You want to make sure that you poop every day so that they, you know, the intestines are working because this is how we get rid of sort of the trash that's been dumped into the lymphatic system. Okay. So it can be helpful. Okay. It can be helpful. All right. I'll, I'll bring out the dry brush again. Cause I bought one and I did it and I was doing it. And it's like, I guess you're mostly moving it like towards your heart or towards like uh-huh. your armpits, your groin, like yep. towards those big lymph nodes, whatever. Yep. But yep. Um, yeah, I guess I just felt like this is too simple to be doing anything good, but maybe not. And you, okay. if you're, if you're relatively healthy and this is, you know, I get this feedback, you may not notice anything. It's generally sure. the people who are, um, maybe much more gunked up, clogged up. Like they tend to say, Oh my gosh, I started dry skin brushing. And I really noticed the difference. My skin got better. Like this got better. I smelled for a while, but then that got better as things were moving around. And I was like, yeah, I bet you had a lot of sludge, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right. Trash to get out of the system. And now you're circulating it in a much better manner. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. But you exercise regularly, right? Like you're, do, you do all the things. So your lymph probably potentially mm-hmm. is moving the way that it should already. Yeah. So you may not notice anything. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And what about the, like the sauna thing? Is that something that you do pretty regularly? So this is a great question. I'm beyond excited to answer this. His, uh, in this house, I don't have a sauna. I really wanted one of those really beautiful wood glass spa looking like saunas, right? The house that I live in is not set up for me to have a sauna anywhere. It's very sad. And then I learned about the, um, the space looking kind, you know, where you, mm-hmm. this, the portable ones and they're mm-hmm. silver and like your little hands and your, your head stick out. Yeah. And so I just bought one and it'll be here next week. That's exciting. <laughs> I mean, I've known about them. I've just, I, there's, I didn't know about the effectiveness. I ultimately wanted like a real sauna, a spa like type of sauna. So I was debating, um, we were debating staying in this house. So I'm like, well, for moving the, wherever I move, I'll probably just buy an actual wood glass yeah. infrared sauna. Um, we're not moving. So I thought, all right, there's some cool, you know, cyber Monday, black Friday type deals going on. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and bought what I think is a really good sauna based on research and colleagues. And so I will let you know next time we yeah. talk how my sauna is going. Is it an infrared one or no? It is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I'm interested in those little portable ones. Cause I actually have a small one person infrared sauna, like the little like wood, you know, the yeah, door. Yeah. Um, and I bought that years ago when I was, you know, very gung ho about trying every single thing that I could to like, and also because I live in, so I live most of the time in Canada and it's cold here where I live half of the year and the morale boost that I get from sitting in there and being warm and sweaty just for like 45 minutes a night, a couple times a week, that's even better than I think the other health benefits for me, because I just, it, it can get, it can get sad, you know, in the winter here. So yeah. it's very helpful, yeah. but, um, do you know much about, or do you have any kind of feelings about the difference between like a regular sauna? You just go in and it's hot and sweaty versus an infrared in terms of like the detox part of it. So I'm not, unfortunately I don't, I don't have the, um, uh, the knowledge to say with much authority, the difference between, and they're obviously like people go into like wet saunas, right? Maybe their Mm -hmm. gym has a wet sauna or their massage therapy place has a wet sauna. And so they go in and they sweat like crazy, but it's different than an infrared. My understanding of course, is that there is some difference using infrared light, uh, um, and the way that it mobilizes toxins as opposed to just going in, Oh, yeah. something somewhere hot on a hot, even on a hot day, you sweat on a hot day. Like people ask me, I sweat on a hot day. Does that mean I'm mobilizing toxins? Maybe, like maybe, but probably not deep. Like, like yeah. a true sauna does that can get yeah. you up to Fahrenheit, 160, mm-hmm. 150, something like that. And so, um, that I don't know yet, but once I get this sauna, I better believe I'm going to be know a lot more about it. Nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll watch for the social media posts. When yeah, you get, exactly. Get in one of those things. When I'm in my little space age. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, okay. So I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but I do have a couple more questions about, yeah. um, and one of them is kind of selfish because it's a, a place in life that I'm in right now, which is like early postpartum. But um, people were asking a lot of questions about, first of all, specific symptoms that they're having postpartum, but also just hormonal support Uh, postpartum. mm -hmm. Um, Things like they're experiencing like, you know, the hair loss that's Mm -hmm. happening, but like it's maybe they feel like it's more or it's not stopping things like, you know, gum, gum pain and stuff like that. You know, just mood, like all of the things that people tell you again, it's inevitable. You're going to have a baby. All these hormones are going to go nuts. You're going to kind of feel like crap and be stressed out and you're not sleeping. So is there anything in particular for women who are maybe in that like fourth trimester or like really sort of in the thick of it after having a baby that they can do to, to support their hormones? 
Actually, um, Dr. Jolene Brighton wrote a whole book called The Fourth Trimester. So I do recommend that people at least read that because they can understand better as it relates to what they're going through and their hormones. Um, One of the things I get asked a lot is, can I test? Can I test in the fourth trimester? Can I see what my hormones are doing? Just keep in mind, and I not everybody breastfeeds, but if you're breastfeeding, um, the act of breastfeeding, how often you breastfeed, and then... um, how far away from birth you are does play a role in your hormones. So breastfeeding increases the hormone prolactin, of course, prolactation to give you milk, but prolactin plays a big role in suppressing your hormones, estrogen and progesterone. So you can test women ask, can I test? I feel like I'm going crazy, but be aware where you test may be different the next week or in a month based on how much you do or don't breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do suggest for women though, is to look at things like their thyroid, their cortisol, their iron, their B vitamins, look at all of those like surrounding nourishing hormones and nutrients and see if anything has shifted since you've given birth. Has your thyroid changed since you've given birth? Has your vitamin D level gone down since you've given birth? Are you B12 deficient now? Are you like, is your cortisol which usually is a yes, you know, is struggling because you are raising a human and not sleeping as a result. And so that's where I, when it comes to testing, that's, that's where I say, you know, estrogen and progesterone, you can, I don't always recommend it, but all the other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Request it, ask for it. Absolutely. Advocate for yourself. And if your Mm practitioner is like, no, you just had a baby, Find a new practitioner. There's lots of them out there who's going to advocate for helping you um, with that. Um, Now, as far as what to take, like what what can women take or what's what what do I what do we do? Just we have to be very careful because you know it all goes through the breast milk. So if you're breastfeeding, it is much different than if you are uh, not breastfeeding for whatever reason. Not breastfeeding, then sure you can take lots of stuff to support hormonal, mental, energy, well being. If you are breastfeeding, then it's very uh, it's um, much more limited. In, in, in what you can do, but mm-hmm. the hair blowout is real. It's really a bad design flaw. I don't know who thought of <laughs> that, that, but yeah. So my gosh, and it can last a while. It can last all through breastfeeding um, because hair growth is not the priority hair, hair in female well, in males too. hair in humans is not a priority. It doesn't actually keep us warm, like on dogs, cats, mm-hmm. bears. Right. Um, and so when you, so the body will shift. Oh, you just had a baby. And we're trying, if you're breastfeeding, we're trying to create milk and it's taking a lot of our toll effort, energy, nutrients are going literally down one pathway, just one supporting you to support this baby. Hair growth is not a priority. It's not a priority for survival. It takes away nutrients and resources that you need elsewhere. And it's not actually keeping you warm. It's so not fair. <laughs> sucks, but it sucks. Yeah. Uh, big time. And so then you're doing what I suggest for, for people, obviously, is if you're taking a prenatal, obviously stay on, if you stay, stay on your prenatal, give it, get checked for these things. Make sure you're not suddenly anemic. Make sure B12 is not suddenly low. Vitamin D is low. Thyroid's off because all of those will encourage hair loss. Um, and then like really love on the scalp. What products are you using on your scalp? You know, like maybe it's now is the time you switch to more of a non-toxic shampoo, conditioner, uh, dry shampoo, whatever you're using product, um, in your hair, uh, scalp massage can be really, really helpful. There are essential oils like rosemary, um, or tea tree that can be stimulatory for the hair follicles. You just have to be careful because it is an oil it's going on your skin and it can go into the breast milk. And so Mm -hmm. just being mindful of that. So that's when it, so yes, I get the hair thing. It's terrible design flaw. 
It's like, great. I just had a baby. I'm trying to figure out this whole body. I'm stressed yeah. out. And now my hair's falling out. Right. And now awesome. like, what are these clumps that are coming yeah. out? Yeah. yeah, it, yeah the technical term is tele, uh, telogen effluvium. And like I said, cause hair doesn't serve a purpose yeah. a critical to life purpose. Right. But resources for growing a baby is important. That's where yeah. the body focuses. So you mentioned a couple of times about like these, these nutrients and vitamins and stuff that we need, like things like B vitamins and vitamin D and iron and magnesium all being really important. And that sometimes it's not even that we aren't maybe getting them from our food, but we're not absorbing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm assuming that this leads down to basically like a gut health issue, like having yep. your digestion really on point, but is there, is there anything like taking certain things together is going to make them absorb better, or you just have to like take some probiotics, make sure your digestion's good and then eat a whole whole foods, healthy diet. Like what can we say to people who are like, I feel like I'm eating healthy, but I'm still low in magnesium and vitamin D right. and these things. So you actually might need a stool test. So you may actually have to poop in a cup for science. And so if you do have gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, you just can't get your nutrients up. Your practitioner keeps checking and they're like, oh, stay on it. You're not up yet. It's like vitamin D is a little different, but like some of the other ones, like B12 is a classic example. Um, B12 does get absorbed in in in, um, in the intestines and, and uh, you may have something called intrinsic factor where intrinsic factor helps to pull uh, B12 in. But if you have antibodies against it, then you're going to struggle with any kind of B12 you eat, drink, or swallow because you're just not going to be able to pull it in like you think you can. Um, some people are on heartburn medications. They're on proton pump inhibitors, you know, they, and, and as a result, that's stopping them from absorbing. So they're eating super clean, but they still, for whatever reason, are having heartburn or GERD type issues and taking medication as a right. result. And, and then like I, you may have stuff going on, growing, living in your intestines. You might have inflammation. You might have candida. You know, you might have worms, God forbid. You know, like you may have some like creepy crawly things. It totally happens. Mm -hmm. We're human. It just, you know, it's in our food. It sometimes gets in our water, animals, and yeah. it, they take up residence and then they stop absorption or they eat it themselves. And so um, asking for GI help is okay. Just like asking for hormone help is okay. Like I feel gas and bloated all the time. Like, I, like help me with this. And that's something that most people's like GP or like even, I don't know, whoever is helping you on a regular basis, your doctor, you should be able to ask and they should at least be able to refer you out to somebody who can give you this um, like stool testing, right? Yeah. So a lot of the, this, there's two types of stool testing. There's like conventional stool testing where they can check for ova and parasites. And then there's more of a functional stool testing, which is very um, multiple pages, more in depth, kind of like a Dutch test, but for stool and, and uh, does maybe require more of a functional integrative holistic type practitioner. Um, but your GP, like, like, let's, let's say you thought you've recognized or noticed or feel like gluten is a problem for you. You can get celiac tested. Like, you know, yeah. you can go ask your GP, like, you know what? I'm noticing gluten I think is a problem. Can I get celiac tested? That is a standard test that you can get. You may have to see a GI doctor. They may choose to scope you. You might have irritable, um, uh, uh, not irritable bowels. You may have, yeah, IBD, IBD inflammatory bowel disease. So you may be experiencing lot of significant GI things that get, you're blowing off to IBS, irritable syndrome or stress or whatever, but it turns out it might be Crohn's. It might be ulcerative colitis. Like it might be actually something 
much more significant and you need to get that worked up. So totally start with your GP. A lot of this stuff, this initial screening things they can do. And then beyond that, you may need somebody a little more or a lot more functional and integrative who are, who are going to do these bigger stool tests for you. Yeah. I'm taking notes here. Cause I have, uh, some very, I have some friends who have like specific issues. And one of the things that's so tough, I think with digestive health is that there are so many things that could be causing it. And yeah. there are so many symptoms. So it's incredibly difficult. Like I think everybody knows somebody who's had some kind of autoimmune issue or digestive yeah. issue, but they're like, it took me years to get a yeah. diagnosis that yeah. that was real, that actually helped because it could just be anything or people blow it off as being nothing. And it's right. so hard to figure out. So, um, I, again, I, I understand why people get tired and overwhelmed because mm-hmm. even if you do advocate for yourself, it's like, how many more times do I have to ask the question, ask for help, try yeah. a different test? It can be very frustrating. So it can be super frustrating, but it's your health. And so yeah. I'm always telling people, don't give up. You are your biggest advocate. It's not going to be your GP. It's not going to be your family doctor, your OBGYN. It's going to be you because it's your body that you live in. So continue yeah. to advocate for it. Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, last kind of big topic. Um, yes. How a lot of people ask me this in kind of different ways, and I recognize that it's a very sort of vague question, but apparently it's on a lot of people's minds as they're in their sort of 40s, maybe early 50s, and they're they're used to being in really good health and being really aware of their body. And maybe they're starting to see some changes and starting to see like the, the big bad M word on the horizon. (laughs) Um, And they're like, how can I prepare myself and be proactive moving into a menopausal stage in my life? How can I minimize all of those symptoms we were saying at the beginning are like, Oh, you're just going to be kind of miserable and sweaty and whatever. How can we, be proactive about our health and our hormonal health moving into that stage of our life. So all of the things that we have said up until this point, like the diet, the lifestyle, the chemicals, the not burning the candle at both ends, the sleep, um, et cetera, et cetera, all applies 10x as you get into the perimenopausal stage. So all the things you thought you could get away with are half-ass in your 30s, you cannot get away with half-ass in your 40s and 50s. The body is transitioning. So perimenopause is the is the transitional state between a orchestrated roller coaster and the roller coaster is going off the rails before it flatlines, right? That's perimenopause. So it's 10 times harder when you're not sleeping. It's 10 times harder when you are not paying attention to what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're putting on your body, you know, Mm -hmm. the chemicals around you, the stress in your life. And it's hard. It's unfortunate. Again, terrible design flaw, because a lot of women are in their forties they're at the peak of their career, you know, like they're, they've got, they've got kids often, maybe as they get their forties and the fifties, their parents are aging. So they're having to deal with that family matters. Um, a lot of divorces in forties mm. and fifties and in this transitional time. Uh, and so it's a lot and it's me reminding women, I call it reverse puberty. We all knew what puberty was like going in. So sad, unfortunate, we had to back <laughs> out of it. But you cannot, you cannot, um, you can't, I was going to say cheat, but cheat's not the right word. You have to like really start putting yourself as a priority. Mm-hmm. We talk about it. We're like, oh, you know, women just give and women are the nurturers and women like put their families first. That's great. That's how, you know, like thank God for us because 
you know, otherwise families would probably not do well. And mm-hmm. so, but now that you're in your forties and fifties, like now's the time you really do have to put yourself first. Cause you will slam into menopause as opposed to glide into menopause. And we all want to glide. Now, having said that, could you need supplements, hormones, hundred percent, you're about to lose a lot of hormones. So you might need some supplements, uh, herbs and nutrients and stuff to like carry you into it as you're getting, as you're, your hormones are going down. And then when you are fully menopausal, you may decide, you know what you and my doctor and I've talked and for risk benefit, I actually need to be on hormones for the quality of my life. That is totally fine. You still have to eat, sleep, hydrate, you know, work on the stress, stop burning the candle at both ends, blah, blah, blah in menopause. That's where I find that women tend to do the best. Okay. So there's something about like this flat line of hormones that sounds a little bit ominous, but it also could be like sort of good because once you like reverse back out of that puberty stage, which sounds terrifying, but then when it's like, when you don't have to worry about this roller coaster anymore, Mm -hmm. that could potentially be a good thing maybe or not. A lot of women love it. A lot of women love it because now they're like, oh my gosh, I don't have a period. So I don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, my migraines are gone. So don't deal with that anymore. My mood is so much more stable because mm. even, even on the choreographed roller coaster, it's still an up and down. And for a lot of reasons that can be very hard for women. It really can affect their mood, their depression, their anxiety, their anger, what have you. Um, and so they're like, I feel way more stable because my hormones are, are very stable. Um, and so, yeah, for a lot of women and, and because it seems, it seems as women get older, like their, um, give a damn, you know, goes away. Mm. And so they're like, I'm loving this new woman. I am. I love the reverse puberty. Me. I know my boundaries. I'm outspoken. I am not afraid of my age. I feel better. I, you know, I am who I am and their confidence goes up and I love that. Yeah. Now, is that every woman? No, but it's enough. It's a lot that I'm saying this because I definitely have yeah. women that go, oh, I loved menopause. I love menopause. Like I am yeah. like, I love this new woman I'm turning into and yeah. goodbye PMS, migraines and fibroids. Like screw yeah. you. Like, I mean, I see the potential hey. there. I think, <laughs> I mean, I think some concerns though. And like, I look at like, you know, I feel like men, when men hit a certain age and this concept of like testosterone replacement and hormone replacement therapy mm-hmm. is a lot more, maybe, I don't know, well understood or out in the open. Like mm-hmm. it seems almost maybe just in like the world that I live in, that it's like quite accepted and normal and understood mm-hmm. that a lot of men, as they're entering sort of their forties and stuff, they may start with a doctor in a very intelligent way. Um, mm-hmm start supplementing with testosterone to just kind of keep it at the levels they're used to or something. I don't know. Yeah, so that they're yeah, yeah. feeling better and mood Fair. and sexual health and all these things. So, I mean, is that, is there an element of that for women too? Like with the flatlining, with this like bottoming out of the hormones, I know there's a transition period, but once that has transitioned, and if you are lucky enough to glide into that place, is that a potential concern too, where maybe like the libido isn't where it was, or maybe like yeah. the energy and the mood isn't. Yeah. So, so then how do we, how do we even start that discussion about like hormone replacement for women if they're worried about these things? So there's a lot of shame I find in, yeah. in uh, the female space around, you should be able to handle menopause. It's a natural transition. You have to, every female has to go through it um, no matter what. So suck it up, buttercup, you know, my, your mom did it, your sister did it, your aunt did it, generations before us did it. But um, the thing is, is, 
once you like estrogen is very protective in the body. And while I don't think hormone replacement therapy is good for everybody, I don't give it out like candy. I do think because women live a long time, we're going to live probably about a third of our life in menopause, a third of our life in menopause. So why suffer? Why risk Alzheimer's, dementia, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, bone fractures, depression, anxiety, if that's a factor for you with estrogen? Estrogen plays a big role. There are other hormones, progesterone, testosterone, also very important for other reasons, but estrogen gets the bad rap because of a study called the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative that came out. So prior to the WHI, women were given estrogen all the time, estrogen and uh, a progestin. Then the WHI style um, study came out and said uh, estrogen, it causes cancer. Hormones cause cancer, get off hormones. And overnight, 90% of women went off their hormones. And it was a, a mess, a mess. And since that time, so many studies have come out to go, oops, <laughs> that WHI trial was actually not that great. Like, yeah. the, it, there was a lot of um, coercion. There was a lot of back end nasty stuff that happened to get that trial published that have now come to light. So is estrogen um, perfect? Of course, it's not perfect, but it's really pretty great for the right woman to help replenish her and hopefully protect against dementia, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a really great book. It's the average woman can read it. It's called The XX Brain. It's written by Dr. Mascani. Dr. Mascani is a female uh, neuro researcher. She was like, nobody's studying the female brain. Let's study the female brain. And she's been talking a lot lately on Instagram about her recent publication of estrogen and estrogen's effect on the brain and and dementia. And I don't want hormones to be shamed anymore as women go through menopause. If you go on hormones, good on you, because you're probably going to live a a better, healthier um, uh, outcome in your life. And you have to live in that for a third of your of your of your life because we're just living so long. So mm-hmm. when you say things like, well, you know, my grandma, my great grandmother, like nobody's done, done hormones. They did. They, they did. They did up until the WHI trial wow. and, 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 and then it got, it got shut down. And so there's a lot of politics in hormones and as with anything. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. So if women need hormones and not all hormones are the same. So if somebody says, well, I'm scared of hormones. I'm like, well, which one? progesterone, testosterone, estrogen, mm-hmm. thyroid is a hormone, right? We have a lot of hormones. And so it's been very uh, specific, but it's working with a practitioner who understands hormones. Yeah. Um, that's, that's ultimately where it's at because I don't want you to have no libido for yeah. a third of your life, right? Like I don't want you to get early dementia in your sixties and seventies. Like I want you, I don't want you to have bone fractures and, and osteoporosis. And now you're yeah. very frail and yeah. in a wheelchair. I don't want any of that for you. Yeah. So let's consider this. Yeah. Let's consider this. So important. I mean, the study thing is uh, unfortunate for, again, like us lay people, everyday people Mm -hmm. who who don't or can't read and really interpret studies and understand what's going on behind the scenes and all of the politics and all the special interests that go into, because we assume we're like, if this is a scientific study or this is like Mm -hmm. in a journal or something, it must be 
legit. It must be authentic. It must be ethical, all of these things. And it just yeah. a lot of times isn't the case. And then people can go the other direction and like never trust anything ever again <laughs> and never trust their doctors and think that people yeah. are out to get them. So it's like, it's a very, it's a very fraught time, I think. But again, yes. you know, what you said, which is just people, we've got to take kind of our, our health into our own hands to an extent. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, you know, empowering yourself to learn and research and ask questions and do the work of finding practitioners and people who will help you and who will listen to you and who are mm-hmm. thoughtful. And if mm-hmm. something doesn't feel right, or if someone's not treating you right, you can keep going and find somebody who will, because that's, I mean, it's important. Like you said, it's your health. It's like yeah. the most important thing. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Nobody wants to not be horny for a third of their life. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I yeah. know. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely speaking with you. I hope we get to do it again. Um, and again, I, I think that I'm learning so much from you too, because one of the things that I'm I'm working on with a colleague of mine is this, I, I, it's a strength building program for women. So we want to gather women together and, and go through this training program to build muscle. And mm-hmm. so many of the questions that I've asked you are questions that I come up against because I'm working with women who are in their, you know, maybe forties, maybe fifties, mm-hmm. who have had a lot of different like changes and things going on in their life. And they're really, maybe they're trying to do something different than they've always done before. And they're unsure, yeah. or maybe they're trying to keep doing the things they've always done that used to serve them that no longer yep. serve them. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the psychology and the, just trying to open your mind to a different way, sometimes a gentler way that we're not mm-hmm. used to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really important. So talking to you, talking to people like you and, and having some of that validated, you know, is, is very helpful for me because I can Good. be like, look, you don't have to take my word for it. Listen to the <laughs> smart listen to people, <laughs> listen to Dr. Jones. So anyway, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, I hope we can do it again sometime soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And next time I'll have had my sauna so I can tell you all about it. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Couple more things about hormonal health. I just want to add here at the end. Uh, if you are trying to work on reducing that toxic load, reducing the toxins that you come in contact with on a daily basis, because goodness knows we are all in contact with toxic stuff all day, every day, people, Instagram accounts, you name it. But if you want to reduce that, one of the best ways to do it is with uh, better skincare, natural skincare. You know where I'm going with this. Primally Pure, one of my favorite partners, my absolute favorite skincare company. Their stuff is amazing. They use uh, just a handful of natural ingredients that you can recognize and pronounce. Stuff like beef tallow, shea butter, essential oils. The stuff is luxurious. It's beautiful. It makes great gifts. They have baby stuff that I've been using on my own baby as well as myself. It's like luxurious high-end skincare, but without the price tag and without the sketchy ingredients, it's beautiful. Their natural deodorant is amazing. Their body butter is amazing. I can't speak highly enough about it. Head to primallypure.com and use the code MUSCLEMAVEN. You'll get a discount. You will not be disappointed. Also, if you want to know more about hormonal health stuff, check out my episodes with Dr. Ellie Michelle. She is another uh, hormone-centric doctor who's fantastic. She and I actually put together a three-day hormone workshop for women. 
this was about a year ago now, um, where we had like live workshop classes about all the different sort of elements of understanding your hormones and sexual health and nutrition and working out and all the lifestyle factors that go into it. It was really, really cool. Um, and we gathered all that information together and put it uh, into a product that you can now purchase and access forever on your own time. So I'll put that in the show notes as well so that you can check that out if you want to learn a little bit more about hormonal health. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I appreciate you guys. And hopefully I will see you here next week.